You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the verse began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Lord, would you guide me the very best I know I'm where you want me to be in the portion of your word you want me to preach from tonight, so help me, empower me, use me, direct me, I say all but only the things you want said. And we will give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text begins with the word therefore, which means it takes us back to what was said before. And we go to chapter 1, and the first thing we notice is the text tells us about a glorious Savior. God, who at sundry times, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And here's the first thing I want you to notice about our glorious Savior, by whom also he made the worlds. Our Savior is glorious because he started everything. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Our Savior is glorious because he is, by his word, the creator of everything that exists. Now, don't you believe that nonsense about evolution? You know why they keep changing it? Because they keep finding out what they thought before couldn't be proven. In fact, it could be disproven. The fossil record doesn't support evolution. It doesn't show gradually evolving life forms over millions and billions of years. It shows all kind of levels of life coming at the same time. Uh, no, the reason don't, people don't believe in creation is not because it isn't scientific. It's because if God started everything, he's in charge. Francis Crick, along with Benjamin Watson, was the co-discoverer of DNA about 60 years ago. He won the Nobel, P, uh, Nobel Prize for um, the science for that, and as he studied those intricacies of human life, Crick said there's no way this could have happened by evolution. There's no way it could have been a big bang that caused it all to come. And so Francis Crick came to believe that life on earth was brought here from another planet. I never had the opportunity to speak to Dr. Crick, but if I did, I would have asked him, where did life on that planet come from? It's all got to go back someplace, and it all goes back to our Savior. He's a glorious Savior because he started everything. He's a glorious Savior because he's the same as God. Our text goes on, chapter 1, to tell us about that. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus isn't like God. Jesus is not just from God. Jesus didn't only come to tell us about God. He is God. He said to the Jews in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. I am as a name for God. The Jews knew what he was saying. They took up stones to stone him. Now, the Trinity can be difficult for people to comprehend. We have different uh, 
illustrations. They're not bad. One is an egg. You got the shell and the oak and the white, but it's all an egg. One's water. It can be liquid. It can be, it can be solid and ice. It can be a gas and steam, but it's all H2O. My favorite illustration of the Trinity is the illustration of space. To have space, you must have how many dimensions? Not a trick question. I'm a simple guy. How many dimensions must there be to have space? Three, very good, all right? You have to have in this room height, and you have depth, and you have breadth. Take away any one of those, you don't have space. You have a flat surface. Now, they're not identical. You put carpet on the floor. You put pictures and windows in the wall. So which one of those is really space? They're all really space. You lack any of the space. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. Demonstrating, revealing himself in three persons. Our Savior is glorious because he's the same as God. He's glorious because the Bible says he's superior to the angels. Verse 4, being made so much better than the angels. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us Jesus is the better way. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Covenant. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the Old Testament. He's better than the angels. He's superior to the priesthood. He's glorious because he sustains all things. The Bible says in verse 3, at the end of the verse, upholding all things by the word of his power. Isn't that interesting? Don't be too critical of science because every once in a while they catch up with the Bible. Man used to think the earth was flat, couldn't conceive of people staying on a sphere. Somebody said they told Columbus, don't go too far, you'll fall off the edge. But the Bible said, way before science discovered it, it is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. They used to think the earth had to be supported by something. That's where Atlas came from, big strong man holding the earth on his shoulders. Uh, but you know what the Bible says in the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible? He hangeth the earth upon nothing. Before Isaac Newton saw the apple fall and thought about the principle of gravity, the Bible said that God holds the earth up by nothing. And the Bible says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Science used to think they knew many stars. They were, I think it was Ptolemy, thought there were 777, and Brahe, thought there were 1,034, and then somebody invented the telescope. And now they say we don't even know, not, not only do we not know how many stars there are in our galaxy, the Milky Way, we don't even know how many galaxies there are. Well, you can't, but God told Abraham, you look up some night, see if you can number the stars. Nobody can number the stars. Man used to say, science said there were three parts to the atom. Remember that? There was the proton, the neutron, the electron. About 12, 15 years ago, they discovered another part of the atom. You can look it up. It's called the Higgs boson particle. Uh, they say it's the particle that holds everything else together, and they have nicknamed it the God particle. Well, that's nice science that you figured that out, but I could have told you about that from the book of Hebrews. I could have told you about that in Colossians, where the Bible says of our Savior, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. I want you to know of our glorious Savior stopped exercising His divine power for one instant. The stars 
would burn out in their sockets. The sun would stop shining. The earth would stop rotating on its axis. Its axis, the entire universe would implode into a nothingness. He keeps everything going. He's a glorious Savior. And he's a glorious Savior, the Bible tells us in chapter 1, because he stays. Verse 10 of chapter 1, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens of the works of thy hand. They shall perish, but thou remainest. The all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years fail not. I want you to know there was a time when there was no time. Time is a tiny slice of eternity and we occupy a minute portion of that tiny slice. But before there was time, there was God. There will be a time when there is no time. And the angels shall stand and declare the time shall be no more. But there never was a time and there never will be a time when there was no God. Our glorious Savior stays forever. Oh, he's a wonderful Savior. He's a glorious Savior. He astounded the priests and the scribes with his wisdom of the age of 12. He amazed his followers by healing the blind and cleansing the lepers. He alarmed the religious leaders. He astounded his critics by saying the maid wasn't dead but just asleep. He blasted the hypocrites uh, and called them whited sepulchers. He bewildered his accusers with questions they couldn't answer. He stood bereaved and wept at the tomb of Nazareth. He befriended a fallen woman that nobody else wanted to talk to. He confronted the double standard of of the Jews when they brought a woman taken in adultery in the act. And uh, in essence, he said, uh, how come there's not two of them? And rode in the sand and they all went away. He controlled the elements. He had compassion on the multitudes. He cleansed the leopards. He destroyed the arguments of the Pharisees. He delivered the maniac of Gadara. He defended the little children. He distributed two fish and five barley loaves and made enough food to feed 5,000 people. He's a glorious Savior. Oh, his followers love him. The Spirit led him. The world loathes him. We adore him. They abhor him, but they cannot avoid him. Our dating system and goes back to his death, the year of our Lord, 2022. The universities were founded to propagate his gospel. Hospitals were started in his name. The entire world celebrates his birth. He's a glorious Savior. Oh, uh, he's unchangeable. He's unequaled. He's unstoppable. His presence is unavoidable. We preach in his name. We proclaim his name. We pray in his name. We present ourselves in his name and call ourselves Christians and we labor with limited and inadequate vocabulary to lift up the wonderful, beautiful, special, glorious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let us all proclaim the lovely name of Jesus. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all my Jesus I love thee I know thou art mine to thee all the folly of sin I resign my precious redeemer my savior art thou if ever I love thee my Jesus tis now he's a glorious savior and then our text tells us we have a great salvation how shall we escape verse 3 of chapter 2 if we neglect so great salvation it is great in its extent. 
How great is this salvation? Well, the Bible says it's so great. God uses the word so to describe the infinite. God so loved the world. A man says to his wife, I love you so much. And it's like the Lord says, this, this love I have for you, this gospel I've given to you, this salvation I've provided for you, to my son, your glorious Savior. Uh, there's not a word in your vocabulary that's big enough to express the extent of its greatness. It's great in its expense. I believe the Lord Jesus was crucified on Thursday. I just get that from reading through the Gospel of Mark. People making all kind of charts and everything about it. But the, the typical world celebrates, if they do at all, the birth, the death of our Lord as Friday, Good Friday. And I was a little boy, and I said to my dad, I said, Daddy, if it's the day Jesus died, why do they call it Good Friday? I don't think I'll ever forget what my dad said. He said, son, it wasn't good for him, but it was good for us. Yeah. Amen. Oh, no, they took him and whipped him with a cat of nine tails, nine various strands of leather that had been intertwined with bits of bone and metal and glass, and they raked it across him. The Bible says the plowers plowed deep furrows in my back. They buffeted his face until Isaiah said his visage was marred more than any man. They plucked out his beard. They jammed a crown of thorns down into his head. They took a cross, and they made him carry it. In his weakened condition, he stumbled underneath the load, and Simon of Cyrene, whom I envy, had the privilege of carrying the cross of our Savior for a little while. And then they nailed him to that cross. They picked it up. They dropped it in a hole prepared for it with a bone-jarring, socket-wrenching thud. And he hung there, not as the artists appropriately depict him, loincloth on. No, the Romans left no shred of decency or dignity to the victims of crucifixion, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a Savior! But that wasn't the worst part. Then they plucked his beard and buffeted his face and jammed the crown of thorns into his head and drove the nails into his hand and whipped his back. He uttered not one sound. But there came that moment when God the Father placed all the sin of all the world of all time on the back of our Savior. He, God, made him, Jesus, to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father and God the Son were separated one from another. And our Savior cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Great expense. But this great salvation, not only is it a great extent and a great expense, it has a great effect. I mentioned the other day, you can come to First Baptist Church of Bridgeport anytime you want. I'll show you former drug dealers and drug addicts and drunkards. And, and we have a former pole dancer in our church and people that made their living all kind of evil ways. And they have one thing in common. They were changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of what the contemporary church does with the Covenant, in my opinion, they do because they have a low view of the gospel. See, the gospel is not enough. We got to give you rock and roll music. 
I have a friend, a good man. He gives a survey to his guests at the church, and the most common comment he gets is that his music is boring. Now, he's got good music. It's not boring music. And when he told me that, I said, that's, that's not coming from lost people. I never had one lost person whom I led to Christ ask me what our music was like. They didn't care. They knew they're on their way to hell and now they're on their way to heaven. They knew they didn't have assurance of eternal life and now they did. We could have been having Gregorian chants. We could have been singing in Latin. It wouldn't have mattered to them. No, no, I said, those comments are from church hopping, pastor swapping, entertainment seeking Christians. You don't have to do all that stuff. You got to get the gospel to people. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. He was 21 years old, had never heard the gospel in his life. Father was Catholic, mother was Methodist. He never went to church, maybe three or four times in his whole life. Got out of the army after World War II. After a little bit, he decided he's going to go to Columbia University, study to be a radio announcer. He lived in Massachusetts on the way back on the bus. He met two boys that he knew from his old neighborhood, the only boys in the neighborhood that went to church and did not go to a Catholic church. What are you going to do? Oh, he said, I'm going to go to Columbia. I'm going to be a radio announcer. Oh, they said, you ought to go to our college. We got a radio program with our own radio station. Where do you go? He said, well, we go, we go to Bob Jones University. He just moved to Greenville, South Carolina. They got his name. They got his address. They sent him information. They impressed him. Their spirit was different. Their attitude was different. Their appearance was different. He applied to Columbia, and he applied to Bob Jones, and he got accepted at Bob Jones before he got accepted at Columbia. And he said, well, I guess I'll go there. I like the South. I was in the South when I was in the Army. You can see he was an intelligent young man. He got on a bus in January of 1949 almost on a whim. Bob Jones Sr. started every semester with an evangelistic service. And he stood up that January 1949 and he said, young man, what if your mother knew everything you'd ever done? The young man said, oh, when my mother knew everything. He said, God knows. And then he preached the gospel, told him he was a sinner, told him the penalty for his sin was death and hell, told him that God loved him, wanted him to go to heaven, that Jesus had come as man, God becoming man, lived a perfect life, shed his blood on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for his sin. And the young man sitting in his seat said, man, that sounds like a good deal to me. It is a good deal. It's the best deal you'll ever hear anything about. He would have told you to the day he died that he was saved sitting in his seat in that 3,000-seat Road to Haver Auditorium because that's when he decided to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But they told him to come forward, and he did. And Evangelist Monroe Parker, I mentioned the other night, met him at the front. Now, a, a big grin had broken out on his face, and Monroe Parker thought he was taking the invitation lightly. He said, what are you laughing at? Wasn't laughing at anything. The joy of the Lord had begun to spring up in his soul and express itself on his countenance. He went aside. They formalized a prayer. At Sunday school, he didn't know anything about that. At different classes, unfortunately, Bob Jones was not a Baptist college. Now, they didn't have any Catholic classes. At least back then, I don't know if they have any now or not. But they did have a Methodist class. So the young man went to the Methodist Sunday school class. And after a while, he said, I don't think these guys are right. According to the Bible, I think the Baptists are right. He didn't become a, a Baptist because of Bob Jones. He became a Baptist at Bob Jones because he read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you'll be a Baptist too. Yeah. At least if you do what it says. 
He left Bob Jones University, went off into the work of the Lord and never turned back until the last days of his life rejoiced in the goodness of God. He led hundreds of people to Christ. He taught hundreds, if not thousands, how to be soul winners. And I'm really glad those two guys were on duty on the bus that day because the young man to whom they were a testimony is my dad. And everything about my life exists because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's great in its effect. I would like to stop there and we could say, praise God. We have a glorious Savior and a great salvation. Let's go home. But our text also tells us about a grievous slipping. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which you've heard, verse 1 of chapter 2, lest at any time we should let them slip. How shall we escape if we, what's the next word? Neglect. Those are passive terms. This slipping is passive. They say the word slip is a nautical term. Has the idea of a boat not being correctly moored and it just, it's taken by the tide or the current down away from the dock. Nobody would want to lose their boat, but sometimes it just slips away. I don't know, but I suspect that's where the term boat slip. When you rent a place or buy a place on the dock to keep your boat, I think that's probably where that came from. Just passive. You remember the day you decided to stop reading your Bible every day? You remember that day? So that's enough. I'm done with this. I'm not going to read the Bible. No, you don't. Nobody ever decided to quit reading their Bible. They just missed one day, caught it up the next. A few days later, missed another day, didn't catch it up. They just let it slip. It was passive. Nobody ever came to you, preacher, I bet you, and said, Pastor, I'm going to stop going soul winning. They just weren't there. But then they're back, and then they missed again, and then they're missing more than they came, and then they never came at all. They let it slip. It was passive. Most churches never said, we are no longer going to have standards of conduct for our workers. Somebody didn't keep the standard and nobody said anything about it. And somebody else said, well, I guess I don't have to either. And they didn't do it on purpose. It was just passive. I'm the oldest of five children. Three daughters born after me. I have three sisters. My brother was born when I was 15. He was born in May. I left home in August. Turned 16 in September. And... Uh, I was back some, and it was quite intriguing to me the difference, the way my parents reared my brother and the way they reared me. Now, see, when I was a boy, you never said, I don't like it about any of your food, because if you did, you got another tablespoon on the plate immediately. And listen, it was hard to eat some of that food. My mother was German, and she had the old German style of essentially obliterating the food. I'm not making this up. You may think I'm just being hyperbolic, uh, but this is the truth. I did not know till I was in my 20s that other than carrot sticks and celery sticks, I did not know that vegetables could be crisp. 
You take a bite of my mother's cauliflower, it disintegrates in your mouth in a thousand pieces. Nasty stuff. But you ate your food. I'm my brother. I remember saying, Mom, Dad, you didn't let me get away with that. My brother's been married three times. Wives two and three were carrying his child when he married them. And my parents didn't say, you know, we want our first son to be a preacher and our last son to be a divorcee. It was passive. I've never confirmed this story. I was told it by Wayne Cowling, and if it's not true, don't tell me because I like it. But I was told that a, a lady, an older lady, widow lady in Brother Trevor's church came to talk to him and get some help because she had a car that just cost her a lot of money, kept breaking down. Brother Trevor looked at her finances and said, Ma'am, I believe we could get you a brand new car. I think it'd it, it have a warranty. You wouldn't have any troubles with it. You could afford it. be less than you're paying in repairs. And he helped her. And they got a brand new car. And she was so happy about that car. A few years later, she came and said, Preacher, something's wrong with my car. It smells funny. It's making funny noises. All kind of smoke coming out of it. And he said, Well, when did you last change the oil? And she said, Oil. I know cars had oil. And she ruined a brand new car by neglect. She didn't take it to a demolition derby. She wasn't drag racing down Silicon Valley somewhere. She just neglected it. It's a passive slipping, and it's a perilous slipping. Young men came to preach at our church and he asked me to have him and we loved him. He was, a, he was an amazing preacher. Wasn't, wasn't that great in his content, but man, he touched people's heart and wasn't unusual half the crowd to respond to the invitation. And he always, always had an interest in police work. He got me involved in it. He got me being a sheriff's, sheriff's chaplain. He taught the uh, young police recruits to shoot. Best shot I ever saw. He'd take a skeet, throw it up in the air, hit it with a handgun. He was a, became a member of our church. We helped his family, gave him free education. Our school paid their, their insurance. And I began to notice he was slipping some. And I talked to him about it, and he just, nah, no, I'm fine, everything's fine. After a while, he got a job at a small police department outside of Pontiac. Later on, he became the chief there. They assigned him a female partner, and he became her partner. Left his wife, married her. We continued to care for his wife and children. I told our church we're not going to ask them to bear any greater burden they already have. And I talked to him. I'd say, there's a way back, and he'd shake his head and blame his wife for the problems. Lady married had a 15-year-old daughter, and one day that former police officer went to jail for nine years because he behaved inappropriately toward his stepdaughter. He never said, you know, I think I'm going to stop being a cop and become a convict. He never said, I don't want to be a preacher, I'm going to be a pedophile. It was passive. 
He had a son. Went off to Bible college, married a beautiful girl, great voice. They were in our church for a while, and then they moved to St. Louis. Son was working for General Motors, and I heard he was doing really poorly. I was preaching that way, so I went to see him, and he was gambling and drinking and all kind of stuff. And I said, hey, you can come back. And he wept, and his wife wept, and he shook his head. No, no, it's perilous. See, when you cut the rope that holds your ship to the anchor of truth, you have no control where the waves of chance and the currents of circumstance are going to take you. It's a perilous slipping. But I want to tell you this. It does not have to be a permanent slipping. You know what I think is happened with COVID? I think we've had a lot of COVID slipping. People used to go soul used to work on a bus route, used to teach class, used to be faithful to church. Churches used to run the buses, used to go out and knock on doors. And, and I know churches still not having Sunday night service. You could have it if you wanted to. Everybody knows that. But one of the lies of the devil is once you mess up, God doesn't want you back. You're so bad, God's not interested in you. I'm working on a sermon from Jeremiah 7. I'm going to call it, Don't Go There. God is sending the people of Judah into 70 years of captivity and repeatedly through the book of Jeremiah, he says, now, if you'll amend your ways and your doings, if you'll repent, if you'll turn back, I won't send you to the whole business of the potter's house was to illustrate that. He said, if there's a nation that I've spoken against to pull down and to destroy, if it repents, at what instant they do that, I'll repent from the evil that I've spoken against them. And I want you to know no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, God loves you. God wants you back. And this church wants you back. And God's people wants you back. It doesn't have to be permanent. Some years later, I was preaching in the St. Louis area again, Second Baptist Church of Festus. I preached first in the morning and at the end of the Second sermon, there was an invitation. I was at the altar praying, and I heard what sounded like an old man praying next to me. Oh, God, we need your help. Oh, God, we need your power. Oh, God, we need your strength. And I peeked. It wasn't an old man at all. It was that young man whose apartment I'd been to a few years earlier and encouraged him to come back. He'd come back to that church. He'd come back to God. He had gotten everything right with he and his wife. He was serving as a deacon in that church. And today, he is the pastor of the Bible Baptist Church in Pascagoula, Mississippi. It is passive. It is perilous. It does not have to be permanent. Ulysses Garcia came to our church. Had a leather motorcycle vest and a ponytail, sat up in the balcony of our previous building. Monday didn't come anymore, and the time I found out what had happened, it was too late to correct his misunderstanding. He thought that to teach a Sunday school class in our church, you had to have a college degree. We do not even have a literacy requirement. We have some requirements, but reading and writing is not on our list. He got into the church. He was trying to help. The very best I can tell, the preacher there became jealous of him. 
one night brought a member over and started telling Brother Ulysses all the things wrong with him. And Ulysses said, I'm sorry, preacher. Just tell me what to do. I'll do anything you say. Well, I believe I could work with somebody like that. But the preacher said, no, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. He got out of church. I heard about it. So I started working to try to get him back every Saturday for a year or maybe a year and a half. I'd contact him. Finally, he came back. He gave me this ring. That's another story. Got in my Sunday school class, got teaching a bus class, brought a lot of visitors into church, doing great. But Ulysses had always wanted to have a church downtown Saginaw. He ran a little place down there called the Discount Service Center. He'd repair engines, anything from a lawnmower to a car. He'd go out on trash day, pick up other people's lawnmowers and fix them and sell them. One of those places with the hand-painted signs, you know. One day somebody came by and they said, hey, our church building's only a couple blocks from here. We're, we're selling it. We're going to go meet in a house. We're going contemporary. And uh, if you want to buy it, it's $2,000 down and $200 a month. And Ulysses Garcia pulled $2,000 out of his pocket, gave it to the man on the spot, signed the papers, bought the building. He came to see me. He said, Preacher, I I've always thought we had a church downtown. And I said, God bless you, Brother Ulysses. Go ahead. He ran to register the name. He had the name picked out a long time. He was afraid somebody else might have taken it. But to his great relief, no one else had selected the name the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church. <laughs> he fixed up that old building nicely as he could, put a bunch of plastic flowers in it. I preached for him a couple times. Every day, they either had church or soul winning. Every day. A book of all the services, how many people attended, how many people got saved, how much the offering was, what they spent it on. I forgot to tell you, or I should tell you. When he signed the papers and got the keys and walked into that building, it was the exact same building about which the preacher had said, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. They couldn't kick him out now. He owned it. It was a passive slipping, a perilous slipping. It does not have to be a permanent slipping. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.